Bullets and Derbs talk about games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the breadth and width of Baldur's Gate 3. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you the focus on what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to play games. And, uh, yeah, we're, you know, listen, we're hot on the heels, okay? Slowpoke.jpg of uh the the coolest new release and that release is Baldur's Gate 3 from three three months ago basically right not Spider-Man which came out over the weekend and that everybody's talking about we're finally getting into hey, you know the back half of what, Baldur's what, what Gate 3 about Spider Spider-Man no one cares about Spider-Man the real release over the weekend was Super Mario Wonder um oh true so, uh, actually have you played it uh, actually, I just played it like for like half an hour before we jumped on this. So, low key, I actually was thinking about playing this one, um, just because I have a you know I, I have a switch, I have a switch, um, and I heard it was a good time. Um, but Baldur's Gate three. So in our first episode on Baldur's Gate three, we covered the first half of the game basically, but Mango hadn't done a lot, a lot in the back half, um, and. Uh, so now this is us talking. This is going to be us talking about the back half yeah. of Baldur's Gate three. Um, I'm, you know, I, I guess we just do a spoiler warning here, right? Like, yeah, spoilers for the end of BG3. Um, I do think I want to say, really important, keep yourself unspoiled for this game. I have a lot of criticisms of Baldur's Gate 3 in the back half. I'm probably going to be pretty mean to the game, uh, at least compared to a lot of sort of the fawning praise that the game has, has uh, kind of gotten. Um, and I think... Um, part of that i guess i would say um is uh is gonna be like it would have been so much worse if i had spoiled myself so if you have not played the game and you plan to my recommendation would be don't listen to me right here right now. i agree um i think the only thing i will say pre-spoilers um because this is like a kind of system agnostic um uh criticism What, what difficulty did you play the game on buddy just normal. Did you play Tactician? No, I did not. Yeah. Uh, I, play, okay. I try and play. I, I don't like changing difficulty midstream. Um, the one thing I will say is I thought it, the game was way too easy by the end of it. Um, this was not with me like trying to like hyper-optimize anything. Um, uh, but that is, that is like, you know. Um, I have heard that, that is true of even people playing on Tactician. Um, I, did you watch Trin Immortal's review of, uh, of Baldur's Gate 3? Um, no, he, was, he reviewed Baldur's Gate 3. He was no. very effusive, but his, his also one of his criticisms was that the game was too easy. And he was playing on track Tactician, so I will take that on faith. Um, okay, I, I know why that's the case. We can talk about that, but um, I don't know. Do you want to start there? Yeah, so is, is should we put it... Yeah, so here's why that happens. Wait, 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 I know should, why should this happens. Should we put the hard spoiler warning here? That was like my pre-spoiler. Yes, yeah, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, hard spoilers. Spoiler warning. Okay. The reason I I had this thought, and I think I talked about this in the cast when I was playing Kingmaker. I had this thought around Pathfinder Kingmaker. The reason is, in my opinion, uh, that Baldur's Gate gets easy as you get into these higher as you get into these higher difficulties and into these higher sort of levels. Is the the mechanics of the game being just a little bit different when you control everybody in the party, right? Mm. So this is something I talked about when I talked about the haste spell. The haste spell in Pathfinder is really powerful, right? Um, And it makes Kingmaker a breeze. As long as you have somebody who can cast haste in the party, you just, before every fight, you haste the party, and, you know, you could just, like, two-man it a lot of the time. You just have, like, a couple of guys who do their full attacks. Um, You know, everybody can position effortlessly because they have double the movement speed, all this other sort of stuff. Um, Uh... 
The reason haste is so powerful in Pathfinder is because in a group setting, being a caster and casting a powerful buff is not super fun. Casting a buff is not super fun. It is more fun to cast Fireball than to cast Hate. And those are both, these are fungible spells. These are third level spell slots, right. right? So part of the way that you make Haste a fun spell to cast is you make it really strong. Haste is almost always going to be worth more raw damage to your party than Fireball will be, you know, Especially in terms of like a if real- you cast it on somebody else. Right, like, like, because that's the other thing too, right? It's like, like haste in fifth edition is a single target spell, right? Um, at least at, at the levels that you can play in, in BG three, and like, yeah, it is like casting haste on Carlac and then like going and making sure you don't get concentrate your concentration broken, is like a great use of your wizard, right? No player wants to do that. Be like, I cast haste in the night, like you know, hide under, hide in a hole, right? Like, yeah, and 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 that is on the nerfed version of haste. It's in fifth edition. I'm talking about you know Pathfinder yeah, yeah. haste, which is like insanely powerful. And, uh, and it it talks to the the relationship between a one player party and a five player party, right? Yeah. You don't have to manage party politics in a version of the game where you have five people controlling five different characters, all of whom probably have different ideas on how they want to approach each individual combat encounter, right? Um, not just on the raw mechanics level, right? It's likely that your wizard is going to want to hang back and cast spells while your barbarian is going to want to run for it and, and do do attacks, right? Um, but just like on a raw kind of enjoyment level, right? What is the, the wizard and the barbarian have competing incentives a lot of the time in the party politics of a five-person party, all of that evaporates under a single one-person party. The other piece of this is that you have discrete control over the builds of all characters in the party, right? So, for instance, um, if I want to build... I actually have a great example of this off here. Ah, no, a good one. A good one. Is, um, if I want to build Shadowheart as a support tank kind of sneak attack bot for my character, which is a rogue, I have discrete control over every aspect of Shadowheart's character in order to build her to that effective role, right? Um, whereas in a true D&D party with real D&D party politics, nobody, you know, like people will play towards synergies. That's a common, you know, like that's a common thing. It's a good thing in the system, right? And it feels good when you can say, oh, hey, I know that you do this thing, so I'm going to do that thing because it's going to synergize really well, right? Um, but the barrier, but there is still a barrier to that, right? And it's pretty rare that you're going to find somebody who is going to build their entire character around some other character doing massive, massive damage, right? Um, it is possible in, on a single person party to build Shadowheart as a sneak attack bot for your rogue, that kind of thing is much less probable in a multi-person, you know, in the five player party, right? Um, and as you level up, you get more sort of levers for this, these, this tuning, right? Which is the reason why the end game feels so broken, essentially. Um, because you start with fewer decisions and you end with a cumulative whole of hundreds of decisions, right? Those hundreds of decisions can be so 
meticulously refined that the state of the party at level 12, where you have built every single character to fill specific purposes that are maximally optimized and efficient with one another, is just like the game's balance can't keep up with something on that scale. Even if, you know, theoretically speaking, um, uh, even if the 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 game is on tactician difficulty. So I, the only place I'm going to disagree with you there is like I think you could build a difficulty to hit that right because like it's 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 not like you know the tactician difficulty is limited by like you're, what you're describing is like why like you know you soloing a pre-published D and D adventure would be trivial under if you had one party control over the, you know, one person control over the party, right? You could make a more difficult game, right? Like you could set the difficulty higher for, for, for players playing the game. Um, uh, you know, playing playing the game of Baldur's Gate 3, you know, the difficulty. Um, so I don't know if, I, I don't think that's insurmountable, but I, I see what you're saying. I think a lot of that has more to do with the fact that like, there are a lot of powerful consumables in the game and you can't kind of like, you have to kind of assume, I think, in order to keep you from, like, doing, like, I don't know, this is, like, less than a soft lock, but, like, difficulty locking your run, you have to assume that everybody, like, you know, that you that every party is going to the fight with, like, zero spells prepared and, like, no consumables. And maybe not quite that bad, but because of that, the difficulty has to skew a little bit easier, right? Um, again, yeah. I think you, I think you, I think you could opt to have like an insano difficulty where you could potentially have like you know have to go back a couple hours so you don't have enough consumables to to fight the fight. But I don't think any developer wants to put that as like a you know like if a developer puts that in the game, it's like unlocked after you beat the game, not available from the beginning type of thing. Because like no developer wants to be like, yeah, I'm, it's too hard. I can't, I can't ac actually beat this game. Um, so I think I think that contributes more to it because. Um, I think they approached the right difficulty level in the early game, right? I have mm -hmm. heard from several people that, like, Act 1 on Tactician is actually hard. It requires a lot of, like, forethought and resource management, and it's uh, and it's hard to do, right? So, um, that, I could, like, that, that um, I, I don't think it's impossible. I just think it's, it's, it's tough to do, and also, like, developers are um, hesitant to do it. Um, yeah, I guess that's fair. So the thing that I'm lying that I'm sort of relying on when I talk about like the game is I'm talking about like the published rules of D and D are built right. for a certain level of balance. Yes. And Baldur's Gate, it doesn't not you know like I I think the end game is probably harder than a real fifth fifth edition. If a real fifth edition party was walking into Baldur's Gate's Act Three, they would probably have a much harder time with it than like the 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 game version, right? Uh, just because I think the game makes a lot of quality of life changes that favor the player, that make the player more powerful, right? So things like being able to change your prepared spells kind of at a moment's notice, right? right. Um, that is a pretty discreet buff to wizards, right? And you never get into the kind of situation where, like, this is the kind of thing that happens all the time in 5e, where you kind of prepared the wrong slot of spells and you have to figure out creative use for the spells that you did end up preparing because, oh, we're doing this 
steel watch refinery today and it turns out the steel watch are all immune to my lightning damage you know and i prepared a bunch of lightning bolts for no reason right and like you know th th these are kinds of negotiations that kind of happen in dnd all the time uh but like the balders the way baldur's gate 3 handles it is just sidestepping the issue and giving you the opportunity to oh these things are weak to acid why don't we get out of combat and i'll just change my shit to acid damage or whatever the case may be in order to sort of solve individualized encounters that way yeah i mean also part of that too is like just like the video game this of it right like you know um something that the angry gm talks about is like you know people like waste a lot of like ink trying to find a solution for the 15 minute adventuring day and there are like things you can like do to like cut down on that but the big single biggest thing you can do is like give your world enough versatility that like it feels bad to do a 15 minute adventuring day and it feels like you you know that like you aren't behaving like a real person and that will break your immersion so you naturally force yourself through that kind of thing right um yeah and I that's true of every D, D game that i've played recently you know we have you you know i don't know we, there's never been a position where we were like we shouldn't rest because uh, we didn't use all of our spell slots or anything like that right you know it's about it's about creating that immersive world um where you want to sleep during the night you want to make a you want to make a watch you want to make a bunch of progress during the day like all of all of that stuff i think is true and it's a lot of what i spoke to when we originally talked about Baldur's gate where i talked about never long resting right yeah no I, I, that's the thing that i, I want to compliment Baldur's gate on is mm. like you know there are like you know even like i think someone went and tested and there aren't really a lot of like time limits right there are a couple but like nothing really prevents you from long resting, and but the game gives you like kind of like the the feel that you probably shouldn't do that, right? Without without that actually being a real constraint, and so that's that's a compliment in its favor. But I also think those types of barriers start to break down very quickly when you're on a difficulty that is meant that is explicitly meant to be difficult, right? Like if you are just like doing the combat engine and it's just for the combat engine's sake, I feel like you have a lot more license as a player, right? Um, in the in the kind of like fiction of the universe right because the fiction of the universe becomes less important you have more you you give yourself more permission to long rest to like put yourself at full resources more time this combines with things like you know you you go to the steel watch and you discover your you are uh uh everything's immune to lightning bolt right like even if you don't like you could you can disengage and get away and it's not a problem right like um but, like, the thing that actually happens isn't even, like, you know, the video game mechanics being like, oh, I don't know what was stuck. Is you hit F8, you load your last save file, and you change out all your spells. Like you said, right? Like, you know, they take out the step where, like, the hardcore gamer, instead of, you know, switch it, goes, rests, switches out of spells. They let, they let them do that part without having to do, do that nonsense. But, like, um, the gaminess aspect of that, right? You can't... You can't actually TPK a party in BG3 because you can load the game, right? Like, a TPK in a tabletop session sometimes ends the campaign, sometimes, like, means you re-roll new characters, right? But, like, you, you can't, like, load from a previous state like you can. And that, that's, I think, where, like, the, the single biggest hard point where, like, tabletop rules hit against, uh, hit against computer rules. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, the... Yeah, and it's also because you can be responsive as an in-person GM, but you can't be responsive as, like, 
the game state, right? We talked about yeah. how part of, you know, the magic of Baldur's Gate is that the computer does, a, you know, account for quite a lot you know, in, in your ability to kind of think through problems dynamically and all that other sort of stuff. Um, but it will never be able to sort of react entirely dynamically to the sort of decisions that you can make. Because as a GM, if I know my, if I, if I, if my players walk into the steel refinery or whatever, um, and he's like, oh, I thought lightning was going to be good against these guys. It turns out they're immune. Now I have three lightning bolts. Well, now all of a sudden as a GM, I can find ways where that person can use lightning bolt in an interesting, unique context on the fly, right? I could I could do a thing where it's like, well, um, you know, they roll some sort of check, like an arcana check, and they find, oh, well, actually, the machinery of the system above is unpowered but enough electricity could send it into overdrive right and it's or like you lightning bolt the that, receptor right? yeah right like the, um, play, the player thinks of that and you know you can't you know you you can't handle all like even though Baldur's Gate does a pretty good job of giving you a lot of alternatives which I think actually fall off a lot towards the end of this game which is another criticism um but it tries right like but you can't do everything right like, yeah um, actually, maybe that's, oh, really, that's actually an interesting point. You you think that the game kind of falls off in its uh, its breadth. sort of branching paths? It's okay. breadth, yeah. Um, I think I think at the very end there are some like very cool set pieces, um, and I think it gives you a. I think there are moments at the end that feel like the whole first act feels like the closest thing to a TTRPG I've played in a while, right? Most of the second and third act feel like a classic CRPG to me with like bright spots. But that's just kind of like, that feels like, you know, you know, first deck got three years of early access, right? Mm -hmm. um, and like, I think they did similar work on some of the stuff in the last deck, but I think a lot of it just doesn't quite feel that way. Um, it feels like there's like a number of other options, but not like, um, it doesn't feel so complete. Like, it, and maybe that's also because like, you know, as a player, when you get to higher level, you can think of ways that you would solve this problem right that like the game just can't handle um whereas like you naturally have less options at a lower level um that type of thing but i i i feel like uh, i feel like the options felt less as 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 i went on yeah i definitely feel that especially because um as i came to understand the story more i guess it felt like we were kind of pinholed into into one direction whereas the driving thrust of the early of the early game you really do have you know um you can sort of turn the goblin town into your uh home base and you can attack the tieflings you know what i mean like you you have a lot of different options to kind of like how you approach that sort of thing i haven't technically done the evil playthrough that i theoretically want to do um it's one of those things where i want to get you know, I want to get, like, the perfect four-player party, and I don't even know who this would be. A bunch of people who have already played through the game, but we haven't played Evil, and we'll play Evil sort of, like, together or something. I don't know. It's just, like, I theoretically want to do that, um, just to sort of, like, understand a little of the direction of the story um, as it goes to sort of that point. Um, but I feel like at the end of the day, I'm going to be doing the same things just for different motivations. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, instead of me... That's a good example of this. Instead of me, um, I don't know, solving the murders for um, Orin, who is the, like, chosen of Ball, right? Um, I am going to 
kill her and take her stuff because I want to control the netherite crown myself or whatever. And it's like, that's technically the same thing I was doing in my good playthrough, right? Where right. we were trying to be good boys. Um, but I'm yeah. just doing it because for selfish reasons rather than altruistic ones. I would say, like, there are theoretically, like, you know, paths you can take to, like, team up with the, with, um, with Gortash Oren. Like, can you avoid killing Ketherick? Like, can you, like, fully pledge to the Absolute or whatever? Yeah, like, I know that there is a paladin. Minthara, the drow paladin um, in the uh, in the goblin camp, is a companion. Um, if you massacre the tieflings, you can recruit her. Um, but I have to imagine that she, like, maybe she's, like, a devout of the absolute or something. Like, you, how, how, I feel like you have to have, the fights that you end up having against the characters that you end up having them against, because I don't get the sense that there are equivalent fights um, for kind of the good side in the back half of the game. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like theoretically you could maybe, maybe like a fight lights end or whatever it is, but like, I don't know. You like, like you have to go through the temple right? you have to go through the, the, the temple of Shar, right? And like, you can yeah let, Shadowheart kill Dame Aelin, right? Like, but like at the end of the day, that's also in service of like letting somebody kill Catherick, right? Like stripping mm -hmm. his, his his immortality. So I don't know how you how you get around that. Um, um, I definitely like. There is also a very obviously a version of the game where you do. Um, where you where, where you do just do the same fights but without it, um, it seems to me like maybe you can pick one of Gortash or Orin and like team up with them, um, but maybe they also turn their back on you at the end. Who knows? Um, yeah, like both both. Yeah, um, I, I'm I, interested in your order. How did you how did you be like move through the major plot beats of the the Act Three? So, um, what did I do? I did the uh, the the Wizard Tower first um which also like kind of like i had some buggy problems with that but that was not super a super huge deal um what else did i do uh, uh i so i went to, i did a bunch of side quests right like i dealt with like did what did how did you deal with the hagen act one uh did you do the Hagenak? Oh, we, we killed the Hagenak one. I'm actually a little mad about this. I Charles uh, told me something that was... We did the Hagenak one three times. One of which was Carlac immediately shoves the Hag into the hole and she dies, um, which was great. But then somebody was like, actually, she, she has a pretty cool reward or whatever. Um, and so we went and we replayed that whole boss fight actually killed her for real and then it turned out that the reward he was talking about was you can make a bargain where she'll give you a, a skill point like right. an ability point right right um which i did not take because i was like why am i gonna fucking deal with this hag uh so yeah so she died but then she did pop up in act uh we did find her in act three um oh she survives so anyway? yeah yeah no so i i did the bargain with her and she showed up in act three and then i you know murdered her there right like i did okay I did that whole bit. Um, felt very bad about the dead husband. Uh, you know, like it was kind of, it's like, oh, you're never going to be all right again, right? Did, did you did you do any of that? 
Did you mm. like? Did we you... found her before. So you're talking about Marina, right? Yeah. With the dead husband or whatever. Okay, we found Ethel before we found Marina. So we found Ethel, killed Ethel, did all this stuff in the bottom of the you know that pirate ship place, um, and then later on we found Marina and the others, and she was like, "You have to help us fight this hag," and I was like, "Hag's dead." And they were like, oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Um, but so you didn't, like, I, so um, the her storyline is, like, she she gives, like, she, like, deals with the hag because she's convinced her, the hag can bring her husband back to life. Um, and the thing, the, the, the way that she does that is, like, or the way that the hag was planning on doing that was, like, basically giving her a wand that would let her resurrect her husband's corpse as a zombie. And you can yeah. give her the wand. And then we did do that in okay. the for in the first act, yeah. Okay, yeah. She did the same thing. You know, I gave it to her on the site, and she rezzed her husband. Uh, well, not rezzed, but, like, rose him up. And, like, you know, you meet her in Act 3, and her husband's still there, right? But the, the end of that storyline for her, I don't know what you got, but for, for me it was, like, you know, her being like, you're right, he's not real. I have to let you go. You know, you're not my husband anymore. I have to let you go. Um, which is funny because after that cutscene where she like lets him disintegrate, he's still standing there because uh, you know I guess the game bugged out or something. <laughs> uh, I don't remember if we got that cutscene, but I think it's because we did the quest first. Um, we didn't. Okay, yeah, it's because we we did that. We did the quest first, um, and we just like went and told her that Ethel was already dealt with, and so her answer was just like, okay, yeah, you know, I think, and then they all left. I would say I think there was a persuasion check involved, being like, you know, you gotta let go type of deal. Um, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so I did, I did that. I basically did a bunch of a bunch, a bunch of side quests. Like the first thing I did in the Act Three was like get into the sewers and like do all of the sewers, which is probably. Not oh, that's interesting. We did all of the sewers at the very, very end. We were actually kind of surprised there was so much to do in the sewers when we got down there. Uh, so, so what what happened was is um, uh, like. I, on the quest to, like, find, you know, to, like, warn all the people on the murder list, uh, I talked to the cook, and the cook's like, there are rats in the basement, so I went and I, like, killed the rats, and that was also on the way to, um, the Emperor's, uh, like, old... Oh, yeah, his, like, little house? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so since I was already down there, uh, this is also when, like, Orange was up, it's like, a kidnapped Blazel. Um, who did they, who did she kidnap for you? Hmm? She kidnapped Blazel for us. Okay. Um... This is part of why we didn't long rest for so long, because we thought that if we long rest, Elato oh. will die. Um, so we we did Orin in our first. We did Orin in our first day. In the, we did the whole of Baldur's Gate in two days, in okay. two long, the a long rest right before we got there, and then a long rest right after we killed Orin. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, because uh, yeah, Orin kid, kidnapped Late Cell, and we were like, well, if we, uh, we rest. It, yeah, if we one. if we rest, then late set will die. No, Lou in the chat says, uh, "I killed the sister chick." Which which sister chick is this? Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Oh, we didn't long rest so much in Act Two that they force rested us like three times in a row. Yes, that okay, that is true. But that was before we got to the city, right? Was that in the city? The, there were a bunch of times where we had to rest before entering the city, and you end up like talking and doing this whole thing. You find out the emperor is actually a mind flayer, which we fucking knew the whole time. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, that's not the reason we didn't long rest yet. That that was 
we were already pretty committed to not long resting at that point, okay. but it was part of the calculus towards our long resting aversion um, was trying to keep Late Cell alive uh, because... I don't know. I just I thought that she would die, which actually kind of sucked because I like Lita a lot in the party. She was pretty. She was pretty good, pretty useful. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, so Lula chat says the sister chick is the hag's captive. I thought that was the daughter of the of the woman. Is that who you're talking about, Lou? Anyway, um, I managed to save the daughter, but like, oh, oh, the first cap. The sister chick is Mayrana, Mayrina, the, uh, the, the 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 wife. Um, she. Lou, Lou apparently killed the wife, killed Marina, like the, 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 the wife of the, of wow. the husband. Yeah. Interesting. Brutal. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Um, anyway, so to, to wind, to wind all the way back. Um, I did a bunch of this side content. I did the sewers. Um, I, uh, ended up killing, like when you fought Minsk, did, mm -hmm. did he, did he have like a whole posse with him in that back room? Mm -hmm. I had already. We him. fucked that. That fight was bugged as fuck, by the way. Okay, I would say like we we. I had already killed we, five of them because they were there. Like I had gone into that back area and I killed five of them. And then when I went there with Minx, it was just Minx, the woman from like the mercenary selling company, and like fake Jahira. Um, so that fight was like trivial. Wait, who are the extra people back there? So if so Do you just mean like nameless NPCs back there? There 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 were there was like a gang of uh, Okay. Of, yeah. of like absolute cultists type deal. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that gang was there. We did f fuck up that quest because we didn't approach the sewers. We approached it from the back room. The, the back is a door that leads to the upside of right. the thing, and it's locked. And I lock-picked that door, and I, we came in from that back. And then we triggered this cutscene, and we're like, oh, what? Um, and depending on how you do that fight, uh, we had to do that fight two or three times because we kept killing Minsk. Um, right. Even when we were using like non-lethal damage, uh, it was such a fucking disaster. It was so hard. We eventually got to a point where we just CC'd him a bunch, I think. You know, like we slept him or something like that in order to... And we were running around and it was literally like, Minsk is wailing on me, but I can't touch him because I don't want to... I don't want to bring him too low before we do all this other sort of stuff. Um, yeah, that was a that was a huge pain. <laughs> See, uh, I I found that fight relatively like easy, not just because of, like the other things were were dealt with, um, but because like I do it two or three times because like I would down him and then like the encounter would end, and like he would trigger on like one of like the other characters, right? And like you know, be like, and then you have to do like a social check to make him like not rage out, and like if you if you um, non-lethal him a second time he just dies um yes that okay that is what that is what happened to us um uh yeah we also had this thing where the cutscene auto completed before we did anything else um and so uh it was just it was a whole it was a whole mess that whole cutscene to be honest with you i don't like minsk i think minsk is lame and uncool he is a I understand why he's like a fan favorite character, and he probably would have been a fan favorite character if I played Baldur's Gate one in yeah, like yeah. you know, however many like years ago. But like his thing of like, oh, I'm so crazy. I have this accent, and I like my hamster. It's like it reminds me of like 
it's like control all delete comics from the early early 2000s like that level of kind of humor it's like lol random humor i guess is kind of what i'm what i'm yeah. getting at or whatever and i found that a little insufferable to be honest with you yeah i mean i i, I feel like a big part of that is like you know there just wasn't as much writing back when Baldur's gate one came out like just like pure kind of like like you know, you would click on Minx, and he would say, go for the eyes, boo! And that was, like, 90% of what you heard out of him, because, like, there just wasn't as much stuff to do with him, right? Like, um, uh, and also, like, like you said, uh, you know, uh, and Lou in the chat is, uh, the, the defending him, uh, defending him on the, on the case that it's Matt Mercer, I guess, who voiced him. I don't know. I actually thought he sounded wrong. So, you know, sorry, Lou, but he didn't sound like he sounded back. Damn. He didn't, he didn't get fucked okay he didn't, he didn't sound like what i remember he sounded like in Baldur's gate one uh and that's probably entirely wrong i'm probably remembering it wrong but it doesn't match my memories so the nostalgia was not hit right so it's bad i do want to compliment the voice acting uh specifically i, I don't even know that i need to do this Catherine form was the greatest and i love that they actually got J.K. Simmons for this. J.K. Simmons is just so good yeah. at everything. But, like, man, I I think the highlight of the game for me was maybe Act 2, Ketherick Thorm, all of that stuff. Um, you know, he just felt like a real villain's villain. He had that, like, kind of tragic villain motivation and stuff. You had this, like, thing of his immortality that you had to kind of, like, deal with and all this stuff. Uh, there's that crazy twist where, you know, you know that the tower is, like, fucked up and, like, the, you know, it's a like mind flare colony and all this other sort of stuff. But, like, seeing it kind of, un like, happen in real time is, is just cool as fuck. God. Yeah. Yeah. So, to go through the other things I did, just because I, I do want to do this. Because okay, there, yes. there's, there's a point. I think, so I rescued Counselor Florek. Right, but we did not. Oh, we did do that actually in the very end. But the, the way the way I did this is I walked up to the front gate and I just like knocked out every single flaming fist. Right, like I like because I, I like tried to like pick the door open and there's people on the other side. Right, so I was like, oh well, fuck it. And I just like knocked everyone out, let her out the back, and like got her home. Um, the reason I mention this is because I then do that area that's kind of like like the base of the tower right like like the seaside around there that's when i do all of that and i find a couple different things one of which is relevant um i think i do the dragon before i deal with anything else right um which involves me like i did i did some other side quests in the middle um no uh did i do i forget what order exactly what order i did things in but um i think i did the yeah so i did i did the uh the I, I did the. Uh, the underwater prison, which I thought was super neat, right? Like I thought that was like like I was not expecting that, right? Like I got brought over there by, um, doing like the kind of like, the water lady was swimming and I got hit by a metal beast type thing, right? I did that quest. I did that quest, brought me to to that area, I, um, did that whole thing. Took me a couple tries to get the result I wanted, which is saving Omala or whatever his name is. Um, and yeah, I, I hate this so much. Yeah, I I saved every Gandian. I just didn't do any of the looting stuff because, like, whatever, right? Um, uh, uh, and then like 
I also like I had to redo it a couple of times because like I saved Will's dad even though I had told what's her what's her nuts to uh, you know go pound salt like you know that like she, I, basically I get the cutscene where like because Will chooses Will right like I show up and then like she shows up and she's like well deal's a deal gotta kill the dad now and I save him with some like fuckery which is, involves like dimension door and you know. Uh, you know, not giving a fuck. This is, you know, when I mentioned that we fucked up our game, this is the part that we, like, turbo fucked up. We did the Iron Throne stuff before any of that stuff in the tower, in the Worms Tower or whatever, Worms Rest, I think is what it's called. Um, which means we did the Iron Throne before... We saved everybody in the Iron Throne, but Will's dad is not there, I guess, unless you, like, trigger that cutscene. And I think that just breaks everything. That's why all oh, of those okay. quests were so fucked for us. I um, see. Interesting. Yeah, that would be, that would be, that would be fucked, right? Like. Yeah, because, like, did you attend the coronation? Yes. Yeah, no, because, specifically yeah. because you warned me. That was, like, I, like, did it when it came up. So thank you for that. Yeah, we had the quest for attending the coronation, but by the time when we got there, and I think it's because the Iron Throne was already completed, when we got there, all of the Flaming Fists were hostile to us, we couldn't interact with anything, and the quest just stayed attend the coronation to the end of the game. Okay. We were confused because we figured, like, he was down there, and we tried it, like, eight times and couldn't get it to work, yeah. So, something kind of... So, funnily enough, my Gortash thing got all fucked, but, like, just, just to kind of finish the loop, I go, I do the dragon thing, like, the, the thing to point out here is, like, I snuck behind the guards who were all facing forwards, right, uh, because, like, because I had knocked them all out, right, like, they were... Awake and pacing forward. One of them sees me and is like, why are you sneaking? And, like, doesn't aggro on me, even though they're all, like, <laughs> pump is hostile. Um, I get to that back area. You know, I do the dragon thing. Dragon fight was pretty cool. That might might be my favorite fight, just because, like, it was a clean dragon fight, right? Like, as opposed to... Oh, my to, God. Like, I had the funny story about this fight, but continue. Um, but after I do that, what I do is is you can climb a set of vimes on the outside to, like, ba break into, like, the back of, like... The, the Gortash fight, right? Uh, or break, break into the back back part of, like, the, the Gortash area. But what happens is, is I break I is I is break in, but I don't sneak because someone's waiting there, right? And again, I kill all of, like, the, the Black Fists or whatever they are, but I try and leave as many of the civilians uh, up as possible, but they don't enter the turn order. So I get stuck in this fucking thing where, like, I am in turn order by myself, because all of like the civilian, the civilians are aggroed and aren't actually in turn order, but they count as it. So like slowly make my way across the top of the like I I jump up to the top of the tower. I make my way around the parapet. I go on the front where Ever Gortash is, and like he's standing there. And then I hit him, and like the the boss cutscene or there's not even a cutscene. Like the boss fight just starts happening because like he's in combat with us. Um, yeah, it kind of doesn't work uh, the way I'm sure it's supposed to, but um, that whole thing was a clusterfuck, and then I I killed him. I picked something up, and basically I had to go back and forth to camp. Like in order to exit combat, I had to escape to camp with all my individual players and the characters individually, and then came back. Then Carl looks like he's dead. I want to see his body, even though she's the one who got the killing blow on him. <laughs> <laughs> At which point she's like, he's dead. 
he's like, I can't believe it. And then she runs away again. So I have to go back to camp again <laughs> to talk to her. <laughs> um, yeah. That's actually pretty funny. You know, it's funny. That dragon fight. I actually don't super remember this dragon fight, but the, here's the thing that I remember about the dragon fight. We were playing basically every day, me and Rachel. It was after work. We would just get on. We would just like play, play, play. And then it would hit around midnight and we would find a natural sort of stopping point. But unfortunately, we had discovered that dragon kind of crypt area with like the puzzles and everything. We had discovered that at, at maybe midnight and we just kind of were like, we'll just do this. We'll finish this out real quick. And then we'll go to bed. And so it's like 1.30 in the morning, okay, when we're actually doing the dragon fight. We had been, and keep in mind, we, this was maybe the very last thing, maybe one of the, one of the final things we did after on our second day, um, because it was all, you know, we, we basically saved the Worm's Rock thing until the very end, which is why the save got so fucked up, um, or the state of the game got so fucked up or whatever. Um, and we got that and we got that bug. So we were turbo out of resources at that point. Um, and this fucking dragon aggro's on the party and we're just like, Okay, I guess we're fighting we're fighting the dragon. It has a gazillion HP. And then there's that one piece of the phase where he creates the rock walls. Um where he creates the rock walls. Uh, did you not see this part? I think I killed him too fast. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah, there's a part where he get he flies into the air and he creates these rock walls, and the mechanic is he's going to do a big breath attack and you stand behind the rock wall right and our whole party was so fucked up at this point because we'd killed like everybody in worms rock fortress um at this point including i think maybe gortash um uh and we we were all so fucked up and i was at like 25 like hp or something like this um and but i we were standing behind the rock wall and i was like what if the i i i, th I was thinking in terms of wow mechanics i was like oh we're not going to take any damage because we're behind the rock wall or whatever. But then I was like, you know what? It's a D&D &D thing. Maybe they'll hit us with half damage. And I should just be topped off for this. So instead of using my second bonus action to attack with my, my hand crossbow, I chug a potion to go to full health. Um, turns out that is how the, the crystal wall, everybody in the party dies except for me. <laughs> dragon comes back down i'm just like holy shit i'm glad i drank that potion then we kill the dragon um it was just it was so funny to like get this fucking dragon out of absolutely nowhere um and then you have that whole conversation where you find out that actually the guy the emperor is ball of or balder of baldur's gate yeah yeah balderin that, yeah well, balderin that, yeah that happens before you fight the dragon because the dragon's all mad Right, the dragons. Oh like, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know, it's funny because uh, we fucking hated the emperor. We never slurped any tadpoles. Um, we didn't even get the tadpole slurping menu because we kept telling the emperor to fuck off. Um, and uh, at the very end of the game, I. To be fair, I think it. <laughs> Uh, Araya in the chat says I should be on this podcast because to complain about how fucking stupid him being Mr. Baldergate was. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, and then at the very end of the game, the Emperor turned on us, I guess because we had told him to fuck off so many times, and then uh, we didn't... Did you free 
How, what did you do with Prince Orpheus? Oh, I just like never did any of that quest line. I like, I was like, oh, so you didn't even get the hammer? No. Oh my so, so god! So I, I think part of that is that it was bugged out. Like I found the Diabolist, but she wouldn't like talk to me about like the quest, right? Like she's just like a Diabolist, right? Like or, like you know, working her shop or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, Lou in the chat says it's so weird to listen to. I don't think I broke more than one quest. So this this is I think part of what I'm talking about when I say that like the breath falls off at the end. Maybe it doesn't like fall off in breath in concept so much as like things break when you start doing things. Like I was like, I'll be clever. I will climb up the back. And, like, just, like, fight Gortash. And everything just kind of breaks at that point. And so I guess it did let me do it, right? It recovered gracefully from that. But, like, um, you know. You even yeah, you didn't even break the fireworks guy. We fucked up the fireworks guy. Um, this is the thing I was talking about where when you first enter, you talk to that toy maker. Um, yeah. And uh, the, you, we killed the toy maker, but we just had that hanging quest or whatever. Obviously, all of Will's quest was just hanging. Um, yeah, I don't know. We had a bunch of bullshit like that. But you never fought Raphael, if, is what that means. Oh, no, I never got to fight Raphael because like, the last thing I had for him was, like, he was like, come back if you want to. If you want to like take my deal, I did like fuck up the, t the 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 fireworks people, but like, like I yeah. How did how do you fight Raphael? Yeah. So okay, when you meet the Diabolist, you can convince her to let you um, into the House of Hope, um, which is like Raphael's place. You can let, she'll like give you a back door in there. Okay. So we took the back door, um, and then when you kill a bunch of people, you steal the hammer, you're leaving. Uh, Raphael shows up for a big, crazy boss fight. Um, what did you do with the gnomes? Did you get the 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 slaved the enslaved gnomes, and did you find them in Baldur's Gate? I I did, and uh, I was I was hanging out with my buddy Brackus, right? I was like I I like you know save them all for Brackus, even though like what's his nuts is like a big racist against. I don't know. Did, did he give you the runic bomb or whatever? Yes. Okay. We That's what we used against Raphael. Raphael's boss fight has these four pillars, okay? And the pillars are sturdy, which means they take double damage from, like, force damage or whatever. Right. Um, and he spawns in with a million guys. He spawns in with, like, a, a bunch of, like, backup or whatever. Um, uh, including, funnily enough, I guess it was the guy that we fought the crossbow guy that you fight in um oh in the in, temple yeah 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 yeah. he shows up as well uh we convinced him to join our side with a sweet persuasion check though um anyway so we show up Raphael shows up and he's doing this thing where he's like stealing souls out of these pillars or whatever the pillars take like extra damage from force damage i was using a an, uh, a hand crossbow that dealt force damage um so i blew up one of the pillars immediately but then i was like oh my god Late Cell has the bomb. She just has that room powder bomb. So we threw the room powder bomb into the room and then detonated it. It blew up everything. It blew up all the pillars, killed a bunch of the guys, just sent everybody to like zero health. And then we just like sat there and like beat, beat on Raphael the whole time. It's maybe my favorite moment in the back half of the game was using, you know, using this bomb that they had given you for its like unintended purpose. Very cool. Yeah, no, I, I'm sad I kind of missed out on that. Um, I yeah. did want to fuck Raphael because he was kind of a bitch. Um, but I just kind of forgot You could fuck him. him if you want. If you actually wanted to fuck oh, him. I, okay. No, I, 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 I fucked <laughs> Will's person. Will's, Will's uh, temptress. Like, 
Right after, right after, like she tried to kill his dad. I'm like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll fuck. Wow. Okay. I actually, we didn't fuck anybody. We didn't. We got zero fucks. Yeah. Um, Will was so, not very yeah. happy with me. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shadowheart was like, it's okay. Just like, let me know next first next time. Um, yeah, a Halston really wanted to fuck me, and I was like, "No." Everybody, no, everybody really wanted to fuck me without me like putting any effort in, right? Like Halston was like, "Like you're hot." I was like, "What are you talking about?" I've talked to you like three times, right? And like the Emperor was kind of like, "So, how's it going?" And I'm like, "What are you fucking <laughs> doing?" Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what we ended up doing was we freed. Orpheus um, from from the prison. We use the hammer to free Orpheus from the prison. Um, and then Orpheus turned himself into a mind flayer um, in order to uh, like channel the the netherite stuff or whatever, right? There's this thing where it was like, I'll do it. And he was like, no, I'll do it for my people. It's more important than that. So we did end up with a mind flayer. It just happened to be Orpheus. Um, and the emperor was just like, you know what? I have given you so much advice, but I'm a spiteful bitch. So I'm going to go fight for the crap. I'm going to go fight for the elder brain. Um, and he swapped sides and it made zero sense in the story, but I dealt, I guess it was fine. So what happened was the emperor showed up in that final fight scene. He was riding the, the big dragon that comes down wow. when you're fighting on top of the brain. Um, we killed him little bitch. Wait, he's, he's, he uh, arriving in the chest is if you're as mean as possible him in that cutscene reveals that he mind controlled his old friend who we talked about you mean like the counselor yeah yep oh wow I did not get that wow um, that's that's interesting huh yeah he sucks the emperor <laughs> yeah no I, I kind of feel like the emperor is a little Schrodinger's emperor to be honest with you I feel like he sucks uh, yeah that's true because I was at least medium nice I was not I was not yeah, full on mean to the emperor. Like, like you said, it, you, you, Schrodinger's emperor. I feel like the canonicity of what he does changes, like based on like mm -hmm. how you how, how like the it, it, it goes out, um, which is interesting. Because um, like it's not presented as like a bad ending when you like. So what what I did is I didn't give a fuck about Prince Orpheus. I gave Carlac the mind flare tadpole, um, because like. You know, she volunteered and like theoretically would hold off her like you know her her engine. From yeah, she point. wouldn't die. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so like I gave her the tadpole, and she like she eats Orpheus's brain, and like we go fuck things up. Um, oh yeah, like that 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 if you don't free Orpheus, somebody has to go like absorb Orpheus in order to like have wow. the power to deal with the with the brain. Um, yeah, sure. But, like okay. I I went into that final fight with like Mind Flayer Carlac. And like also the emperor as like a companion, or as like a as like a pet, you know. All, I guess, um, you know, in, in that pet slot. Um, mm. uh, but yeah, so um, I think I, I I've told you about this off the cast, but like I tried to do that final fight a couple of times, um, and like it's like oh no, you got you gotta like get there right, and so like I baited out the counter spell from like the wizard um, from the wizard counter countermeasure guy right um i used 
I used Shadow Hearts Divine Intervention to like murder house most of like the countermeasures, and then I just like bum rushed the portal. Um, and once everybody's inside, so I used Call Allies once, which is a shame because I thought that was a neat mechanic. I just like didn't get to use it. Um, I used the Call Allies to like basically like be meat bodies while I opened the portal and jumped everybody inside. Um, and then like it stops going outside. Like I was like, are they gonna follow me in here? No. I just like like you know hammered on the brain for like two turns, right? Like Carlac just like doing power attacks. Too good. Um, like you didn't even have to use any of the fancy mind flare shit. It's like Carlac turn on yeah, power we, attack and uh, hit harder. We did. F we fought a bunch of stuff right in the front, uh, which honestly was a huge pain and it took forever. Um, but we. Um, we did a bunch of that, uh, and we summoned some people for that, but they didn't die, and you can resummon them again um, right. if they don't die. Uh, so we were like, "Oh, well, we'll just kind of, you know, summon people as as necessary." Um, uh, also, the broken ass allies because they were mad at me. What? I don't remember that. Um, uh, I, I have I have a great bug. Oh, what what happened? What happened with your speech in the room? I want to know. When, when you get into the room where everybody's like, and I, you know, where they do like, you know, like the, and I'll be with oh you. Oh my God, that bug was so frustrating. Yes. We, I think this is because we fucked up the stuff with the flaming fist. Here's what I think happened. Um, because we never dealt with any of this like Gortash stuff correctly, um, the flaming fist auto aggroed to us. Okay. Um, and when you free the counselor from jail, which we did, she becomes an ally and she brings with her flaming fist guys, but the flaming fist guys were like coded to fucking hate us. So we had to sneak past. Oh, and then the flaming fist guy aggroed on us. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I killed the flaming fist guy. And then all of our allies turned on me. I was like, the fuck? Jesus Christ. So we reloaded that save and we had to do this thing where, um, we, I, like, triggered the cutscene. Everybody, like, moved past or something like that. Um, and then I had to, like, sneak past him without touching him so that we couldn't... We didn't get into combat. We just left him there as, like, an aggroed entity. It's the dumbest bug. I hated it. It was so frustrating to deal with. <laughs> so, did you give a speech? Did you, like... I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, I think we gave a speech the first time. Okay. Uh, so, my speech thing was super fucking funny right because like you get there and like the like and my axe scene goes on for forever if you've done like you know any significant amount of the the side kind of and, like it feels funny right it's like you know and i'm here too right um but the funny thing that happens is, is i give my speech right and it's kind of like a dumb speech right but like the cheering sound effect plays but it like does that thing where it like it's like it's like it was like some like somebody's like college project it's like yeah 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 like three or four times in a row it plays like the cheering sound effect <laughs> um it's like yeah yeah we uh that's interesting yeah we had a million allies um by that point we had i guess we maybe had all of the allies that we like kind of possibly could have gotten you didn't have um will's dad i think obviously oh yeah we wouldn't have had will's dad that's true yeah. but we had um 
I don't know. We had a lot of people, I guess. Um, and then when we got to the final fight, we just literally summoned everybody, put them all on the brain. Um, but we killed it all. We we murdered the dragon. We killed all of the guys. We cleared. We basically cleared that whole sage out. Um, and then we went into the portal in on the brain itself. And, um, uh, and then I think I sneak attacked the brain for like a billion damage, basically. Yeah, I was I was just like because summoning them took actions. I was like, eh, I'll like I was trying to like maneuver things to like work right. And I was like, I wonder if I could just kind of bum rush it and it worked right. Like I had gotten I had gotten very used to popping at, at a certain point in the game. I realized that I had like eighteen potions of speed in my inventory, and I just got very used to chugging a potion of speed and getting double actions every turn. Oh, so um, that I, became like a normal thing for I, me. I did that until I hit the Iron Throne, and I realized they only last for they don't last for like the full length of a haste. Yeah, right? they last for three turns, and then they stun you for one turn. Right, but be in the Iron because that happened in the Iron Throne, right, where where time is of the essence. I like kind of forsook that after that right like i had a, like you know my my uh, my main a plus use of forsook way to go bud <laughs> we're talking about dungeons and dragons i'll use yeah sure just like an incredible conjugation <laughs> of uh, like a very esoteric verb forsook uh, hell yeah. yeah uh yeah no I, I we actually did use potions of speed in the um in the iron throne um but yeah, I just got very used to chugging potions of speed, getting extra action. So we were just like summoning a million of these guys. Uh, they were all basically meat. They basically everybody died pretty pretty quickly. Um, but it was just like it just distracted the dragon long enough that we could deal with the dragon. Um, it distracted the mind flayers long enough that we could just like deal with them or whatever. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then, oh, did you do the Asterian quest? Where, how did you end up with the Asterian? Oh, I, I just didn't do the Asterian quest. I was like, but okay. like, I was like, and now I've got to do like Kazdor. And then I was like, I don't care. I don't like Asterian and I want to finish this game. So instead of doing Yeah, that, the just, game gives you the most insane trolley problem of all time when you do that Kazador quest. Uh, though it has a pretty funny, like, interesting boss fight kind of uh, mechanic that we cheesed the fuck out of, in fact. It, um, because there are these runes on the ground when you're fighting Kazador, um, and standing in the runes is good. But I had brought Halsin... I think, who I had turned into an owl bear, and Halston had an earth element, or Halston had a wind elemental, maybe? And I think maybe, I think at that point, Rachel was carry, also carrying, like, an elemental of some variety, um, or maybe I had Will. I, I, I was, we were using Conjure Elemental quite right. a lot, just to, like, have an elemental in the party. Oh, well, yeah, what you're not talking about is my fucking mage hand. Yeah, you summoned the mage hand. There are six of these runes, and you want to be standing in the runes every turn. So I was doing a lot of, like, hit-and-run stuff. I would run out, kill, hit somebody, and then run back and end my turn standing on the rune, right? Um, and then with stuff like the, the air elemental, right, I just left the air elemental on the room. He was using these ranged attacks or whatever. Um, and then halfway through that fight, Rachel was like, I wonder if my mage hand, because we were tieflings and we could summon a mage hand as a racial, like, bonus action or whatever, I wonder if my ra mage hand will count as being on the rune, and it did. So Rachel summoned a mage hand and left it on one of the runes while we were like, like, I don't know, where we were like fucking on Casador. It was very dumb. And then the and then the um <clears throat> and then Casador does this whole thing where um he is going to sacrifice 
the best part is the mage hand successfully got a kill. I don't remember that, but I believe you. Uh, because there's summoning bats, right? There's these oh. like, oh, by winging a bat at another bat. Yeah, by throwing a bat at another bat. Okay. Uh, there's these like little one health bats. He right, summons right. a million of them or whatever. Cazador has turned 7,000 children or 7,000 people some of whom are children, into vampires. And by doing this crazy, insane ritual, he is going to turn himself from a vampire to a human, but he has to sacrifice these 7,000 vampires. And at the very end, Assyrian is like, well, I could be a human again if all I did was sacrifice these babies. And I was just like, what is this trolley problem bullshit or whatever? Uh, you know what I mean? So I told, and I was honestly secretly thinking, 7,000 vampires is a lot. Should probably kill them. Like, they should probably go, actually. Getting rid of 7,001 vampires is probably for the good of the realm, right? Because just releasing 7,000 vampires into the wild is kind of a recipe for, for disaster. Um, but I decided that killing 7,000 children was probably, like, the wrong choice. Um... And so we told we told Asarian to free them. They all decided they're just going to go to the Underdark and not harm people. Mm, okay, I guess I'll deal with that or whatever. And it turned out to be Asterian's bad ending. Because at the very end of the game where you get that thing where he starts, you know, all of this stuff happens and he starts to, like, get fucked up by the sun yeah, or I whatever. That, too. that still happens. That's the bad ending. The good ending is you eat 7,000, you sacrifice 7,000 kids and you fucking yeah i was just like 7, okay I guess. babies yeah yeah exactly it's like it's like, what a, it's weird like a fucking like uh you know early aughts joke like you know dead baby this is gonna be a weird pull did you have like when you were in like middle and high school were like dead baby jokes like really popular uh, yeah i don't know why but they were very popular in my in my middle and high school as well it yeah feels it's like, like proto 4chan like edgy you know it's like, it's not even humor. like it's not even like Proto fortune, right? Just kind of like, uh, uh, uh. like, it was like shock humor, pure shock humor, right? Like, um, and they're puns too. Uh, not puns, but like, you know, it's like the level, like, you know, what's brown and sticky? A stick, right? Like, which is like a dumb joke, but it's like basically that. Yeah, like anti comedy, right? Yeah. Right, but it's like those jokes, but like, with like, you know, what's like, black and red and it's like you know a baby beating against a tree or something right like it's like okay yeah yeah like the punchline is meant to go get somebody to go like oh yeah he said that right that kind yeah, of thing yeah. um but yeah i didn't i didn't get like i basically was like tired of also uh i, I was just like tired of like doing things by the end of the game like i i got burned out on the game pretty hard yeah, the one thing that bothered me about the Kazuro stuff is Zarahi in the chat is they're like, there's 10,000 vampires, and they show like 10. Yeah, that's true. They show one, they they kind of have these cages in the background, and there is one jail cell with like four vampires in there. Um, and I was like, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I understand that feeling of getting kind of, like, burned out on the game and just, like, wanting to just, like, get through it and finish it. Like, we did absolutely everything on the 
on the map. I'm pretty confident that I saw every piece of Baldur's Gate. Um, and I have since learned that there are pieces of Baldur's Gate that a lot of people didn't see. Uh, so, for instance, we did the Blood of Lethlander thing. Um, this is what I was referencing the other day in the in the chat, which was we did this. Um, What's the Blood of Lethlander uh, thing? It's in the bottom of the Githyanki Kresh. Okay. Um, which I, I don't think that you ended up doing, right? You just skipped that whole part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we did that, and uh, that is apparently a very rare... Like, most people do, in their playthrough don't see it. It's kind of... It's not a real quest. It's just like a... Um, it's just like an environmental detail thing where if you pick up that there are certain ceremonial objects and you can place them on these altars, you can figure out, oh, there's this secret hidden crypt thing. And you go down to the crypt, you get a legendary weapon sort of thing. Um, uh, so, like, I feel good about the amount that we did that game. I think that we got, you know, we kind of, like, got through everything. But I was definitely pretty burned out on it by the end. Um, and it definitely lost its luster over time. Uh, you know, we, we talked about this in the first in the first sort of cast on it um and uh i appreciate the ambition in the back half of the game with baldur's gate um but i appreciate the ambition but i don't know it just really lost me um in the in the back end of the game uh a big part of it being we hit level 12 and we're level 12 for maybe like 30 or 40 hours of gameplay yeah i feel that which, to be honest with you, I don't know that I mind that, right? Like, for instance, you know, WoW is a game that, you know, you hit an endgame and you do the endgame stuff. But for some reason, it just feels very weird to play a D&D game where there's no, like, leveling up. Yep. Nope. I, yeah, I, I totally get that. That makes, that makes sense to me. I feel most of the same way. Um, yeah, no, Buddy was bad about the... Ronnie says, but he was the maddest with level cap. Yeah, he was mad on the podcast about the level cap like a couple weeks ago. Um, yep. He was that mad on the podcast, Ronnie. Don't you worry. We were not spared his rage. Um, yeah, I'm honestly downplaying it. Yeah, I mean, all of that is just, I was true. That That is a true feeling, and I felt it a lot, and I was mad about it. And to be honest with you, I'm still mad about it, and I'll just die mad about it, I guess. I don't know. So I'm curious, buddy. Do you have any of the super rare, do you have any, like, shining achievements? Oh, let me look. Uh, let's see. For whatever reason, my view all achievements will not show me the percentage, but I've got a couple that I can see that are super rare. Um. Hmm. <laughs> Kill the red dragon in the upper city. Ten percent of players got that achievement. That's 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 the thing that I didn't do. That's the one I skipped over. Yeah, a lot of these people got yeah like um, hmm. wait what? I feel like I should have some of these. Killed the surgeon before he perm performs surgery on you in combat. We killed. I I guess it doesn't matter if I don't know. Yeah. Um. I guess, uh, I don't know. I guess not. There's 17 hidden achievements that are... Uh, was it, but um, did, you, did you get any that like were done by like like a very small number of people? 
Yeah, I don't see any that are done by a super, super small number of people, right? Uh, like, no free luncheons, defeat the Apostle of Merkel before it consumes any Necrolites. Uh, 26% of people have that. Um, yeah. Even though I kind of felt like that was like a, I don't know, a medium above and beyond thing. Yeah, no, I got first blood at Kill Orm while her cultists are performing the ritual chant. That was like 13% of players, apparently. My two big ones are... Uh, Sarah Morphosis make the ultimate sacrifice become a mind flare to defeat the nether brain which you know I did on Karlak um, and then I got uh, leave no one behind ever save every tiefling refugee you can throughout the game in a single playthrough which I see that Lou also has so good job Lou. wow yeah. I guess we didn't do that um, yeah who did you, who did you lose who did you let die was it Roland or whatever his name I is? don't know who would we have let die hello Orion welcome to the chat buddy um, who, who, which of the tieflings would we have let die? Uh, it, I think maybe we, we had the hell knight tieflings, um, like the paladins at the end. Um, and maybe some of them died. I don't know. Uh, oh, the fucking mage asshole. Yeah. Roland or, or Rohan or whatever. Uh, Ryan in the chest is because the fucking mage asshole. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Um, that was also a weird interaction where we long rested, um, uh, yeah, I, I did what Lou said. Okay. Rohan runs the Mage Tower now. Um, wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I I almost lost him in that fight because, like, you know, when Dame Aelin comes in and is like, fuck you, right? Like, Rohan's like, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to help you kill the Angel Lady. That's a bad idea. And, like, he's very fragile, but he will, like, run up a staircase and, like, stay mostly safe. Um, oh, yeah. He decided, so this is in, in, in Act 2, where, like, when you walk around, he's, like, in the middle of fighting something whenever you happen to walk by there. But if you don't realize it's happening, you'll die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's exactly what happened. We found his body the next day, and we were just like, oh, okay, I guess. Yeah, okay. We just didn't, re yeah, and we just didn't realize. Yeah, this was also, we, this was also us fucking up the lantern, where you have to kill that convoy or yeah, whatever. Yeah. It was, like, it was just all part of that whole bit. Long resting fucks your whole life up yeah i don't know it's funny because uh for some, for people who didn't long rest ever we did get kind of fucked by long resting in that one situation yeah no, what was your thing with Orin? uh so when Orin does like um uh so that one wasn't super rare apparently but like when you do the fight with Orin, a bunch of cultists start chanting i guess and i guess mm -hmm. when they stop doing that something happens but i just like Murdered Orin super fast, so whatever that was. They just stopped chanting and then fought me individually, which obviously didn't go well for them. I actually don't super remember how we did the Orin fight. Um, I think I want to say that we killed everything for... Oh, uh, that is, actually, I do remember the Orin fight. Yeah, we killed all of the chanters first. Um, uh, okay. And then Karlak beat Stichter to death, yeah. I did the same thing. Karlak except... basically just sat there and tanked Orin like the person or whatever, um, while the rest of us just went around and we did each of the individual enchant chanters. Yeah, I mean, I Karlak also beat Sticked Orin to death for the most part. Um, but, like, I said everybody beat Stick Orin to death, and it worked. Um, she had damage reduction? What did she have damage reduction from? The chant, I think. I think that's why we did the chant. I don't actually think it was damage reduction. I think it was healing. I think she, like, full heals at the end of the turn. And um, maybe I just managed. But she loses one. it. Yeah. I 
In my final fight, Shadowheart got left in the main room while the rest of the party moved on to the brain. The Emperor just kept her perma CC'd for me anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. We killed the Emperor insanely quickly. Uh, at that point, I my sneak attacks were just like so insane. Like I could just single target one person out of the like blow that piece of junk out of the sky stuff. Um and uh I'm pretty sure we just murdered. Oh, you dragon breathed him on turn one. Yeah, that's true. That did happen. And also, Orpheus was really powerful. Um, when you have Orpheus in your party, he is both a mind flayer, but he's also a monk. And he's also weirdly like a druid. He could change into a displacer beast. Um, no, that, that's, and so that's there's a this mind whole flayer power. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, well, so he's also a monk. So his displacer beast attacks are like monk attacks. So he shredded. He destroyed people. <laughs> Orpheus was really powerful. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I have much more to more to talk about. That's this yeah. sort of where we ended up with Baldur's Gate. Yeah, no, it was a super fun game. Kind of falls apart at the end. First, it seems, right? Like, um, but it was definitely fun. I definitely enjoyed it. It's definitely up there. Will probably be my game of the year. At least one of one of the three as we usually do them. Um, what else could it be? It could be, I guess, Tears of the Kingdom. Australia. Or it could be Rain World Downpour Mango. <laughs> definitely not Rain World Downpour. Sorry, buddy, but I didn't. <laughs> it might, like, Australia is definitely up there, right? Um, Street Fighter Six. What else? Ooh, Street Fighter Six is a good man. It's a good question. What would at this point we're getting close, right? Yeah. What would my game of the year maybe be? Ooh, did Dark Tide come out this year? I've been really into Dark Tide recently. Payday Three, I guess, came out. Say you didn't like Dark Tide on launch. Um, yeah, I did not like Dark Tide on launch. Oh, we'll talk about this in the back half. I did not like Dark Tide on launch, but it is well, we're we're in the back better half. now. We're at one thirteen, so talk about it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so for for back half gamers, okay. Um, should I should I get Dark Tide? It's on Game Pass. Oh, is it? I don't even have to. Yeah, so I think you can just play Dark Tide, and I would recommend it. Dark Tide um, had a very recent update that was a class rebalance. Basically, the original thing with Dark Tide, um, as especially as compared to Vermintide, was it was four classes, um, and they all behaved like Vermintide classes. Vermintide classes kind of used the old WoW talent system, where you had three talents in a row. <gasps> You could pick one of the three of them. You get you get it one every five levels kind of thing. But the thing that Vermintide had is that each character... You had five characters, and each character had three classes. So you had a, 15, a total of 15 different sort of specializations that you could go. In Darktide, every class was the same, right? Um... And kind of their, I, I guess their their sort of initial design direction was the idea that they were just going to be adding a bunch of classes over the course of the game. Because uh, in Vermintide, you're playing discrete characters. You're playing the character of Barden Gorin, Gorixin or whatever. Um, you're playing uh, Corellian the Wood Elf, right? Um, in Darktide, you are playing one of an endless number of rejects uh like these you know conscripted prisoners basically um who are drafted into fighting you know uh the the sort of chaos infection on this world that i don't even remember the name of um dark tide lore sort of sucks um but the thing that they did was they added a talent tree that is like new 
modern WoW talent trees, where every level you get a point, um, and you sort of have three different specs, and over, as you kind of move down the talent tree, you can sort of spec to one end or the other, right? So for instance, you can play an Ogryn. You can play an Ogryn that is about shooting his gun really good. You can play an Ogryn that is about heavy attacking really good, or you can play an Ogryn that's about, I don't know, something else, right? Um, and that system has made the game much more fun and engaging, uh, which I think is also good. And the other thing is, they also changed a lot of the inventory stuff. Uh, the original version of inventory was very, like, loot... Ra just, like, random loot box kind of bullshit. Uh, you basically get a... Um, you basically get a... Uh, a shop and the shop rotates every hour and it just has random stuff in there. Um, and then there's also a much better shop that also rotates that has like legendary items and stuff like that. Um, and what they added was a whole crafting system. So something that you can do now is you can pull off um, sort of the legendary affixes on certain weapons. You can take those and you can bank them for later. So you sort of disenchant the item, you keep that blessing, and if you want to put that blessing on a, on a future item, you can. Um, and you can also upgrade this stuff. And the way that they do crafting is really, really clever. I love this. This is maybe the thing that makes Darktide's design so good. Throughout the level... You're, there are, like, chests where you could, like, pick up ammo and stuff like that. Um, and in those chests, you can find the crafting materials, plasteel and diamantine. And the chests tend to be out of the way in these massive, sprawling maps that are all kind of procedurally generated. Um, one of the ways that Darktide is a little different from some of these other sorts of games... Um, for instance, Vermintide, you are playing a discrete map that you can memorize every single time, right, in that mission. Um, if I'm playing Payday, I, I can memorize that map. I can memorize those heists every single time. Dark Tide has a object. It, it sort of it starts in a bridge section. You start. You I, it starts in a non-combat section, right? Then it goes to what I call a bridge section, where you go through a a big winding huge map. Right. Um, and then you get to an objective section. Typically, you'll get to like an elevator or whatever. And then you take the elevator, you get off the elevator. You're in a new you're in a new section. Right. You do a little objective fight for like two or three minutes. Um, and then you move on to a second brig section, big brig sprawling map. Um, and when you get to the other end of that bridge section is a final objective. You complete the final objective. The game, the, the mission ends. Those two bridge sections are actually huge, sprawling maps that have multiple entrances and exits. So the game can kind of, um, it's like, imagine you have eight different entrances and exits. It will direct you to, for instance, you will enter on one and you will exit on six. And so your way of moving through that map is going from one to six, but you can still explore all of the other little kind of no like nooks and crannies, right? Um, and there's something about that that simultaneously really fits the lore and feel of Darkseid in sort of the immersive sense, right? Which is just like, there are, this is a whole planet, the Inquisition is running millions of these missions, right? Um, you are in you are not in discrete locations, you are just in one of many, right? When you are activating this this smelter fabricator thing or whatever at the very end of at the end of some mission, there's a million of these on on the planet because it's a giant Imperium world where the whole thing is like colonized kind of thing. Um 
But it also makes the game feel, you know, like kind of like fresh and exciting in a lot of ways. You're looking, you're picking through these different like sort of like nooks and crannies in order to find everything. And the the reason this is a really p good piece of game design, um, in my opinion, is the game really punishes you for going out on your own for going in like being solo um specialists will spawn who are you know who will incapacitate you one-on-one -on -one. you know like a guy will spawn and he shoots a net and if the net hits you you are just down until one of your teammates can come and grab you it's a pretty trivial thing to deal with if you're with another way if you're with your party um but if your party is all alone because you guys have spread out because you're looking for diamantine and plasteel um that's like a really deadly proposition um and at the same time uh there the it, but at the same time if you all just stick together you won't get those crafting materials because they're also tucked away they're in these little corners all throughout the map or whatever and i think that that tension in game design is just really satisfying because it makes the missions tense in a way that in a lot of these co-op PVE, you know, PVE shooters that, that I like those missions don't get that intense that often because, um, you memorize them in a way. Yeah, uh, so sense. the thing of the game in the game, you know, encourages you to split up and kind of go out on your own. Uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, you, it sort of punishes you for for that and you have to be really on your toes when you are so far away from the group you could just like kind of like get fucked um i don't know all that works really well dark tide is fun i've been playing it i would recommend it yeah no that makes that makes sense um yeah i i will maybe give it a, a check if i have the time um because i have been playing like i said i put a little time into uh uh super mario wonder um I put a little time into um, uh, into Cyberpunk. I have not gotten past the opening that I played like four times, um, just because like you know I just haven't put a ton of time into it. Um, well, so I've been playing Street Fighter. I've been playing uh, uh, it's a little little bit of Astrea. I do want to go um, and play some uh, play some WoW. Get my monthlies done, I guess. Yeah, I need to do that. I I did some Mythic Plus the other day, uh, which has been pretty fun. Uh, I've been running with Low Kicks and Druid Bull and some of those guys. Um, yeah. Uh, what else have I done? Uh, I went to a Ren Fair yesterday. That was super fun. Like a big one. Really? In the middle of the woods. Yeah. Um, it was like the biggest one in the Northeast, I think. It's like King Richard's Ren Fair. Apparently, it's like it's like two two to three months a year in the rest of the year, it's just like a bunch of buildings don't have anything in it. Um, I think I went on the last day that the fair runs this year. Oh, it was neat. Um, you know, a uh, bunch of people dressed up. Kind of hokey. It was like, so there's a rent fair that actually is right near where I live. It's in New Hampshire. It's like the only one in New Hampshire. Um, it's very small, but it's like a lot of like independent vendors. You get like, it feels kind of almost like a, like a con in the sense that like you know the vendors it's like oh this is like a local company that does like shirts or like there's like some dude who's like clearly had like a 3d printer and was like i designed this miniature and then my wife makes boxes for dice right so like you know it's you know fun fun stuff fun stuff like that this this one king richard's fair felt corporate's kind of the wrong word but it felt like kind of like hokey right like the shop's all like it's, it felt like it was like I looked at it, it was like, I feel like I can get this stuff on Amazon for like a quarter of the price, 
right? Or like off of like Kimu or something. Um, my, my girlfriend put it, it's like a, felt like a lot of dropshipper stuff, if it makes sense. Um, oh, there was some cool stuff, right? Like um, one of my girlfriend's friends uh, worked at one of the, there's like a tea shop in there, which is nice to have like high quality tea um, and whatnot. But it was, it was still a fun thing to do. Shot a bow and arrow, threw some knives. It was the first time I'd done, the, done that in a long time. Um, uh, you know, uh, walked around, watched some knights joust. Um, the other big thing that I did that I'm happy about is, uh, I, by going to a, a relatively local convention, um, upstate, I had met up with these guys, like they're, um, guys that are closer to me that like have this like very, like, I think this club is older than I am where they just like play war games. Right, like mini, like like historical miniatures war games, and so like, I have been they do a thing once a month. I've been hanging out with them, playing some pretty cool historical war games, um, which is like a thing that I never thought I'd be into. Um, you know, it's like Warhammer, but like without like the bolters. It's just like you know, Romans versus uh, uh, Carthaginians. Carthaginians or yeah, 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 yeah. Or like Second Punic War has got to be huge for those guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like. Um, I don't know if you remember, but you know how when we would go to Gen Con, sometimes we'd walk past the table, which was just, like, a bunch of, like, dudes in, like, sailor outfits and, like, big wooden boats? Um, like, there was a, one of the – we didn't have the outfit, but, like, there were, like, the big wooden boats on, like, one of the tables. They didn't play that game, but it's, like, yeah. It's, like, wedding. Yeah, that is, that is <laughs> super fucking. You know. My my new obsession <laughs> coming at the coming out. You know what's funny? Um, so I figured out. Have I told you about my birthday? Do you know about my birthday? What about your birthday? Uh, so this year I surprised Rachel for, for her birthday. Um, and she was like, I'm going to surprise you for your birthday. And, uh, the last time that she did this, I was able to figure it out. I, I deduced the surprise, which was actually medieval times. Uh, the one that you came down to actually, um, I figured out that we were doing medieval times and she's like, the fuck, how did you figure this out? Um, I have been spending a lot of time. I've like weeks of my life we have we have gone through this thing my first thing that caught on was i called it pirate larp i was like what are we doing are we doing i was like what could it possibly be and i said pirate larp and rachel immediately was like oh my god why did you say that why would you say that specifically and then i was like oh well we're doing pirate larp that's what the birthday is okay and then a couple of weeks went by where she just referred to it as pirate larp every time and i was like this is a bit actually this is all a red herring she's fucking with me it's not actually pirate larp and then a pirate costume came to the house that she bought on amazon and i was like oh then it is happening right you're not just gonna buy this just to bamboozle me though it would have been a pretty excellent bamboozle if so and i spent a whole night Figure, trying to figure out what it could be. I was like, it's gotta be something. And I, and I also had figured out that we were going to San Diego because, uh, she'd been like, um, would it be okay if we spent, if we got dinner with my family, um, on your birthday. And, uh, her father-in-law lives out in the desert, but her two uncles live down in San Diego. And I just, I was like, it's the uncles. We're going to San Diego. And she's like, yes. Okay. Um, and so I had figured out, I was like, it's San Diego. San Diego is a port city. Uh, I had known about, there's a, the biggest ship museum, I think in the United States is the USS Midway. It's like an aircraft carrier ship museum, which I had known about for a long time. Um, uh, because I just think that that shit is cool. 
And uh, and I was like, oh, I bet it's a ship museum. I bet there is a ship. I bet that there's like a pirate ship in the, you know, in the San Diego, in the San Diego Harbor. And we we spent like a whole night where I was just thinking through and I was like, I bet it's, I bet it's a sailor, you know, it's a sailing ship. It's got to be a sailing ship to be pirates. Um, and I was like, it's going to be like an English pirate ship that survived, right? Just like in some rinky dink harbor somewhere. And she was like, are you sure it's English? And I was like, oh no, it's not English. It's Spanish because during that time, California would have been like from Spain, like under Spain or whatever. And then I kind of got it in my head. Actually, I don't actually think it's just been in San Diego this whole time. That's kind of ridiculous. What I think happened was it was probably just in some port somewhere in like some Caribbean island, right? My guess was Puerto Rico. I was like, it's going to be in some Puerto Rican port. Um, and then the city of San Diego bought it and turned it into a ship museum. They sailed it through the Panic of Macau all the way up. That's got to be what happened, right? This kind of thing happens all the time. And then, uh, and, and I just went through the whole thing. I was like, the time period is going to be 1700s, so 16th centuries. It's going to be a galleon, not a frigate, um, or a brig or any other ship of that sort of like time period. And I just like went through this like whole list and Rachel had said to me, it's funny because there's one obvious thing that you're not getting that when you realize it, you're going to feel like such a fucking moron. <laughs> And I was just like, what could that mean? What could that possibly be? And then last night at four in the morning, I was lying in bed and I was thinking about this trip and I was thinking about the USS Midway um, because I was like, uh, I knew the trip was going to be for two days. And I was like, I wonder if we're going to go to the USS Midway. And then I was like, and then I also remembered that next to the USS Midway is the U.S. Maritime Museum. And I was like, oh, I wonder if we'll go to the USS Maritime Museum or the U.S. Maritime Museum. And I was like, oh my God, that's what it is. The ship is at the U.S. Maritime Museum. And I said that to Rachel at four in the morning. I woke her up to be like, are we going to the U.S. Maritime Museum? And she was like, yes. <laughs> but not only, and not only was I right about the Spanish Galleon, though I was partially wrong. Spanish Galleon is from the 1500s, not the 1600s. It is also not the true ship. It is a reconstruction of a ship. And it was also not Puerto Rico. It was El Salvador, I think, um, is where they found the, the kind of bones of this ship. But there's also apparently the U.S. Maritime Museum, and I didn't even know this, has a bunch of ships. It has, you know, like a like a submarine. Um, it has uh, it has the frigate, the the recreation of the HMS frigate um, that they used in the in the famed boat movie Master and Commander. Um, <clears throat> It has a sailing ship that went up and down the California coast to patrol the California coast when, you know, uh, California kind of went from this, like, barren frontier wasteland to an actual, you know, like, settled territory in the United States because of the gold rush and all this stuff. And so, yeah, anyway, I don't remember why I was telling this story, but that's the story of how I deduced my, I figured out the surprise for my birthday. <laughs> Makes sense. Anyway, I think sailing big. The, here's why. Here's, now I remember the reason that I the the reason that I feel like this is this is relevant is because I'm gonna be one of these guys. I'm gonna be an 18th century sailing ship miniatures war gamer when I'm like 40 or something. <laughs> I could see it. I could. I could. Or you could get like, oh man, you could do like naval. You could do like World War II naval combat. 
I bet there's a million of those where you have like battleships and aircraft carriers. I was going to say like right? the classic one is just a battleship, but you know. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's. Oh my god, I guess that is the classic one. Listen, the classic one is Axis and Allies. Yeah, okay? yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, um, although that's not ships. Which I have never played to completion, but I've always wanted to. <laughs> Uh, it's like board game, uh, board game royalty. It's like Twilight Imperium. Have you ever played Twilight Imperium? No, I've actually never played Axis and Allies either. Um, I, uh, you know, I don't know that I have it anymore. I had it when I was uh, a, lo a long time ago, and I had start. It's like diplomacy. I started a million games of Axis and Allies, but you never get through it. Um, yeah, my my version and, of that uh, game is Napoleon in Europe, um, which inspired a a heavy interest in the Napoleonic era uh, when I was in high school. Um, all right, it says you have it, so you know maybe uh, maybe you do have it. Um. Okay, yeah, I wasn't sure if I if I had kept it all these years. The little Axis and Allies man stares out of the crack in the cupboard. Okay, <laughs> um. yeah, I really love Axis and Axis and Allies is a really interesting game because like it's hard to make a good game out of. Um, I think it's hard to make a good game out of history because like the United States is just insanely powerful. You know what I mean? This is sort of like the Hearts of Iron thing, where Hearts of Iron, uh, the the way that Paradox approaches that game is they make it about the different difficulties. Um, playing you at the US is easy mode in Hearts of Iron. That's like the easiest playthrough you can do. Playing something like Australia is hard because you have to be like, you are up against these superpowers um, who are just going to like kick your shit in. Um, yeah, g generally anyway. the way they do it is they like they focus on like particular like theater or something like famously like the most complicated or like the biggest board game is like one that's just like about the African theater, um, and like I I don't remember what this game is called, but it's like it's famously enormous, famously takes forever to play, and like uh, one of, like it's so detailed that like one of the things is like the Italians have like a pasta ration. Um, that like figures into things uh let me see if i can find this real quick i'm actually is it the campaign for north africa uh the notorious game uh, yeah the campaign for north africa the notorious board yeah game it's a strategic monster board war game uh <laughs> yeah the, italian the longest board game for, ever published the italian forces <laughs> must account for extra water rations for their soldiers to boil pasta <laughs> Apparently takes That's actually pretty great. Apparently takes fifteen hundred hours to play. Uh, okay. I love that they have six booklets, one of which is historical background, a sixteen page analysis of the North African campaign. <laughs> yeah. Land game rules of play is forty five pages. <laughs> Air and logistics game rules of play is 23 pages. Wow. Yeah. This is insane. I sort of want to play this. This is on my bucket list, okay? We have to play <laughs> We have to play the campaign for North Africa before All right, we die. So, so, so I, I, I'm curious, buddy. It says it takes 1,500 hours to play. Let's assume that we're doing this when we're old men and so we can't pull all the So let's say we get 16 hours of play time a day. That is 93. That's like a third of it. That is three months. Are you willing to yeah. <laughs> give like retirement home. a season? <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this, some derps talk about games retirement home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just it's like you come down every day and we like like somebody's like stripped off our pieces like on like day four. I was like, well, I guess we gotta start again. Um, wow, yeah, yeah, man.
Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> is that is that is that it? Yeah. I I don't know if I got anything else to talk about. Uh, you know, watched a bunch of Bake Off. I watched, I caught up on Bake Off this week. That was fun. Bake Off's good. Um, they so actually just from like a game design point of view, I guess is the is the best way for me to t- tell this. And this is like the second time this has happened, but. Um, one of the competitors had to leave midway through the the episode because um, she had a migraine. Um, uh, a couple seasons ago, somebody missed an episode because they were sick. Um, I think it's assumed that it was like COVID related or something. Um, and what they do is is that they leave the option open that they won't send someone home this week, and they will send two, two people home next week both time or this this is spoilers for bake off spoilers for bake off um which i know might be important to a couple people very serious spoilers apparently um so i I won't say who got star baker or anything um but uh they decided this week to not send anybody home um that uh that next that instead of sending someone home one person home this week they'll send two people home next week um, which is, I guess, I guess this Friday. Um, I don't know. I think it's simulcast. I don't, I, I don't know how, how the, the schedule works. Um, with, because it's a British show that gets put on it. The Great British Baking, the Great British Bake Off is the, is the English show. In America, it is the Great British Baking Show. Baking Show? Because yeah. Pillsbury has, like, Bake Off, like, copyrighted into Infinity or something. Um, yeah, I know because Netflix has to do a bunch of VFX work yeah, in the yeah. back end. Yeah, did you did you see that Captain Dissolution video? Yep, that's yeah, what I'm yeah, referencing. That, that, that is exactly how I found out that it was that it's a different name. Yeah, um, I will try to remember to put that in the in the description uh, if people are interested in what I'm talking about. Um, oh, uh, do <laughs> Arias sent me the little axes in alleys, man. <laughs> That, Listen, I'll that bring is, Axis and that Allies. That is fucking creepy. <laughs> Let me see. I'll bring Axis and Allies to PAX East. We'll play Axis and Allies at PAX East this year. Okay. Or next year. Um, can I do... Oh, wait. Can I, can I do this, like, real quick? Copy. Browser. Oh, my God, Orion. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this on screen, just so people can see this tiny little man, <laughs> um, uh, peeking out. That is that is fucking creepy. That if I saw that and I didn't know what it was, I would uh, I would think that I was like you know uh, that that like you had like a demon <laughs> in your cupboard. <laughs> it's pretty funny. All right. he, he scares me. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, um, point. Do you th- how if if you were you know assuming your only concern was game design concerns, not um, you know I assume part of the reason they do this is because like you know British b- baking show is a much friendlier than like a your typical reality show, but I assume there's a bunch of stuff that's written and edited anyway, and I'm sure they put off sending two people home for like ratings reasons, right? Um, how would you deal with how, how would you deal with someone leaving leaving uh, one week of the competition early? These are all amateurs. They're not 
Um, like Wait, I'm sorry. So hold on. I'm I may be misunderstanding. No one is going home. No one. Oh, sorry. When I say go they, home, so every week they do three challenges. One person gets kicked off the show in like your traditional, um, your traditional elimination style, right? One person right. had to leave this week early because she had a migraine and did not recover, and so, and so she did not compete in the second half of this week's show, right? So she went home to rest. Right, she will be back next week to compete in next week's challenge. Okay, and, and so and and because and this is why nobody was voted off this week. Yeah, it's not voted off. The judges decide or not voted off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, the, yeah. The judges decide to send some decide to send someone home, and no one was sent home. No one, no one was sent off of the show this week, and they will send two people off of the show next week because it'll be a fairer competition with everybody. I, I get like who. They, they do I not guess. give explicit reasoning. They just say, like, because they went home early, we will not be sending someone home this week. The, the crazy thing is sending two people home in one week sounds very difficult to, like, make that work from a game design standard, right? Because basically what you're saying is now you are playing. It's like um, playing for first and second is different than play. You can you just have to be better than last right. on a normal week. Right, but now you are you have to be better than second to last, um, which I think is a complicated game design problem to kind of like get through. Right, you it it's it's sort of substituting. Yeah, I don't know. I guess um, but you also can't do it on the other end of the spectrum. You can't disqualify the first person from voting because then people just develop migraines when they have a bad week and they know that they're going to get fucked. Right? Yeah. They just give up halfway through. You incentivize that if you say that she's immune from voting. If you say that she's immune from voting, well, it, but she doesn't get voted off. Voting. It is the two judges decide who goes home. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. If, if she's immune from being sent home, from, or, the, yeah. from the judges sending you home. Right? Is the question, is that the fairest way you could design the game? I'm just curious as to uh, uh, what you would do, right? Because like, the other part of this is like I think what they're supposed to do theoretically is that um you are only judged on that week right like you you don't like you know if you had a really great last week but a really bad this week you might get sent home even if you were you've been consistently the best person i think they fudged that a little i think there's usually like two or three people there are two or three people who it could be plausibly be um and like if one person's like a good person with a bad week they tend to not get sent home on their bad weeks um but uh um, and I, I assume you have to combine both weeks of performances into this week because otherwise it's just totally unfair to the people who who stuck out the, the first week. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I'm just curious how, how you would approach it. Like, like I said, I am sure a lot of this is like um, producer producers trying to deal with it, right? Like that it's like, you know, it's not just like, you know, gamesmanship. Right, because like yeah, and it's like ramping up the tension for the sake of the show. I think that that that's why I would do it if yeah, I was yeah. a producer. My, right, the idea that two people are going to get let go next week ups the stakes quite a lot. Not, not only that, but like you also don't have to deal with the thorny issue of like someone being home sent home this week, right? Like you know, yeah. Like I think if you like, I think it's interesting that they reserve the like that they could theoretically have sent home someone home this week. I like it's never it's it's only happened twice, and it's never they've never sent someone home on the week that someone went home. But I feel like. That like someone would have to be like very obviously bad because otherwise I think you have to send home the person that like doesn't like like you can't the per it's weird to like have the person go home and like not be like well they're disqualified right like they you know um, 
Yeah, I think that the d- disqualifying that person would be. I guess I would consider it to be um, unfair. But you, really, what I would want is I would want to create some version of things where I can verify. I guess. I guess the thing I would want to attack is bad actors abusing a medical leave system. Yeah. system. And I think I think the the nature of the show is that that really isn't a problem, right? Like yeah. I, I also think there's some like secondary concerns. Um, again, uh, spoilers if you haven't seen the show because this will reveal who 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 got a migraine and went home. Um, the person who got set, who who went home for the migraine is also a deaf person, and they have. Um, they have like a, a a signer on set for them. Um, my conspiracy theory was that like they were going to send her home early so they didn't have to keep paying the translator. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the interpreter. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, but like, I think from kind of like a you know like the like I don't think she was ever going home the first week because like that's like you know just kind of like the you know because there's always possibly two or three people that can go home first or right like you you you're not going to send home the person. Like, from a writing perspective, you're not going to send home the disabled person first because, like, that's a bad look, essentially, right? Yeah, um, I think I agree with that. Um, but, yeah, but, you know, outside of outside of that, I, I just from, for, from, like, a purely game design perspective, I, I, was, uh, I was curious if you had any thoughts. Just because, like, I don't know how you deal with that, right? Like, you know, how you, how you make it, like, plausibly fair for everybody at home. Um, I mean, it, it seems to kind of work out. Um, but, you know, yeah. But it's a good show. Yeah. It's a good show. Um, you know what else is a good show, Mango? Sopranos. I finished The Sopranos again. It's my second time. See, It is harder to watch the second time through. because I think, honestly, I'm just picking up on more. Man, that show was rough at the very end. It, uh... It's hard. It's a that's a hard show to to end with. Um, it's kind of like you know how you know how Breaking Bad. You've seen Breaking Bad, yeah. right? Yeah. So you know how Breaking Bad. You just get to a point where it's just all downhill. But really, it's like it's like three, two or three episodes of going all downhill, right? Um, Better Call Saul is also sort of like this, um, where you know it's kind of ramping, 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 and then it's like really like the final two or three episodes where things just like nosedive i have not um, seen the bitter call soul yet that's true that's true in the sopranos it's kind of the whole final season that's a nosedive in a way um and uh there's just like a lot of stuff in it that is <sighs> brutal that is real brutal to watch um yeah Right, in the chat <laughs> and he finally found an Italian, Italian sub. The roughness was in part because it made him want sub so bad. That is true. I mean, they constantly show Tony doing this thing, which I am envious of, where he just opens up the fridge and he has a fresh sort of packet of uh, gabagool, cup of coal, right? Um, and he'll just eat slices of it. And I'm just like, God, what a life. <laughs> that, that was like that was like me growing up, right? Like, um, there there is a famous. Um, Famous in my family thing, we're like, you know, for like holidays, my dad will like go, he'll get the good brujou, right? Like, you know, from the from the deli, right? And like, my brother and I are not small guys, right? So like, I think this is, I think we were in college, um, 
And like he had bought a bunch of Brujou and like my brother and I had like munched through most of it. And he my dad just opens the fridge. He's like, what the fuck happened to all the Brujou? <laughs> like, yeah, I said, second, my dad like, uh, legitimately angry. And then, like, <laughs> <laughs> then we left it off and got more meat. But, you know, it was just like, it was just funny. Anyway, so uh, you were saying. Yeah, my dad had, uh, do you know what an Iberico ham is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah like the- special, special Spanish, um, like super, super cured ham. Um that's a little bit of what my, my dad got an Iberico ham once and it was just like, it was so easy to just like walk up to it and just like slice off a chunk. Yeah, so for oh, people at home God. that don't know, it's, it's, it's a leg on like a, like a rotating rack, right? That like you cut pieces off of individually, correct? Yeah. I mean, yeah. technically it's not even rotating it and oh. it, it is, it is super cured, right? right. Um, it, it's made from, I, I weirdly know the history of this and I got really into curing meats a long time ago. Don't ask me why. Um, Iberico ham is made out of um, pigs who eat only a very specific kind of acorn in the Iberian... It's a Spanish thing in the Iberian Peninsula, right? Um, They only eat this very specific kind of acorn, which just, like, makes their meat in a, like, very particular body hyperfixation. Yeah, in a very, like, particular sort of... uh, uh, in a very particular sort of way, and that it is cured in a very particular sort of way. Um, and, like, good Iberico ham is going to be, like, $2,000, right? right? I think the one that we had was way, was way less than that, obviously. It's probably, like, $400 or something like that. Um, but you, it comes on this board, which is, like, a cutting board, and then there's kind of, like, a little rack, and you put the thing in the rack and it holds it there, and you just can slice off pieces of it, and you just leave it on the counter. We just left it on the counter, Um yeah. Oh God, Iberico ham. Let's go. Yeah, I w- I have to imagine that Brajut and uh, and or Prasciato for you Medigans out there. Um, uh, I have to imagine that that and Iberico ham are um, are like relate. Like they they gotta come out of like the same tradition, right? Because they're both like cured pork. Like like I remember I haven't had like very good Iberico ham, but I've had like you know like uh, little bits of it. And I I feel like it's like this. It it it, it reminded me of yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I do like prosciutto. Um, yeah, I guess they are pretty similar. Um, I feel like uh, it's the thing that makes Iberico ham uh, so special is really that special. Um, uh, uh, it's really that special acorn or whatever. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it looks pretty similar. Like if I were to look at Iberico ham and I were to look at prosciutto, it's like basically the same sort of thing, which is. Um, Honestly, I mean, Capicola is is also sort of similar to that, but it's just much less cured in the, um, it's like, it, Capicola is wet, essentially. Yeah, yeah, um, Capicola is a little bit more like a, like a salami than it is like. Yeah, it's like a cold cut, you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, in, uh, in Like, um. Like, Brujute uh, has like a, almost like a jelly-like texture, right? Like a chewy, a chewiness to it that I also. Yeah, it's almost like jerky, actually, yeah, is, what yeah, I, yeah. is what I think it is. Which Capicola is not like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, some der- some derbs talk yeah. about meats, yeah. okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, this is some, we're, we're six months off of, uh, you know, some derbs talk about food again. Um, yeah, well, listen, we, we, what, we our next Some Derps Talk About Food episode has got to be a really good one. <laughs> All right. Well, we we were going to stop 15 minutes ago, and then we got talking about about food. So, you know, yeah, for real. It is how it is. So um, I think it's maybe time to sign it off. If you want to email us about anything to talk about this podcast from uh, BaldishGate32, Italian Lunch Meats, you can email us at subdurpsplaygames.com or podcast at You can 
uh, watch it, watch us live at twitch.tv slash play games or youtube.com slash games where occasionally Orion makes a guest appearance. Uh, uh, <laughs> rate reviews wherever you find podcasts. All the links are in the description. But do you have anything else you're looking to promote? I do want to mention that I announced a new game last week. It's called Hello Cruel World. We announced that game last week at uh, the Indie Game Horror Showcase, which was presented by The Mix and Dread XP. Um, and so you can find that Hello Crew World on Steam. Uh, it is a it is a it's a title that we're developing in house, and it's a VR title, uh, which is made by a very cool friend of mine named Joni. Uh, and the other thing that's neat that's happening right now in my work life is the Sorry We're Closed, which is uh, one of our next titles coming out next year. Uh, the Sorry We're Closed demo is up for the first time, um, which also had a gameplay trailer that was nominated by, or not nominated, that was narrated by me um, in, uh, uh, in that Dread XP showcase. So if you want to play that demo, if you want to take a look at the page, feel free to head over there. Give it a shot. Take a look. Speaking of Akupar games, is there a release date for Universe for Sale? Not yet. Okay. But also tune in Thursday, I guess. Oh, oh okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, did I, I say I, that? I promise <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen, let me just say, if you happen to be around, okay, at 9 a.m. Pacific on, on Thursday, October, whatever, then <laughs> you, you might have a good answer on when the universe for sale uh, release date is. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it says, wow, it's exclusive. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Well, then I'm going to say until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.